This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Former McKinsey partner Caroline Webb has put together a book which looks at some recent discoveries through science that may very well help you have a good day at work. The book is How to Have a Good Day. Caroline joins us on the show right now. How about that for an introduction, Caroline? <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. It's great to be here. We try, we try our best if we can. Uh, <laughs> how many people do you think, in, in terms of all the research that, that you've done, how many people do you think, percentage-wise, are, are not having a good day on average when they're going to work? Mm. Well, there's a lot of surveys out there that suggest that around half uh, of the workforce are not uh, particularly enjoying their everyday working life. And that's pretty sad when you think about how many of our hours each day we spend at work. And even for the rest of us, uh, those of us who might love our jobs um, deep down, actually, you know, day to day can be not as great as, uh, as, as the big picture. So small stuff can get us down, even when we love our jobs. And I became very interested in what it would take to make everyday life a little bit easier as we go through our, our tasks and our priorities for the day. Yeah. So give us a little bit of the backstory about how you kind of accumulated this data and really the, the, the themes behind the, the book. Well, I've been working with people for more than 15 years now to, to help them thrive at work. That's been my, my, my day job. It's a pretty fantastic day job, actually, uh, to, to be helping people to be at their best. And I did that, first of all, as a consultant for, for many years and then struck out on my own about four years ago. And the core of it is really sort of coaching work, one-to-one coaching work, also working with teams, with boards, with whole organizations to shift cultures in a more positive direction. And I just became aware that while, you know, when, when a company is trying to improve its culture, it often thinks about the big, uh, the big ticket uh, interventions, you know, the big CEO speech or whatever. And that stuff is needed, but often what doesn't get focused on is the small stuff. You know, how do you, how do you handle disagreements? How right. do you handle days when, uh, you know, the workload is very heavy? And, and often the way that people deal with that is actually what really defines the way that an organization feels. So I became more and more interested in, in the small spaces of our lives, let's say. And uh, my coaching and consulting went more and more in that direction. So this, this book comes out of years and years of practice. And, and it is interesting that there is so much more research about this, that, that we're trying to figure out how to have a good day and how to make uh, the workday better just in general. And the fact that scientists and, and, and behavioral economists and, you know, there are so many people that that see this as an important piece to not only personal success, but but corporate success as well. Yeah, there's so much great research out there that's being done by behavioral scientists, which is the sort of umbrella term for neuroscientists, psychologists and economists who look at why we why we, why we behave the way we do. But a lot of it isn't really making the leap uh, from the lab uh, into real life, one might say. So that's really where my work focuses. It's sort of translational. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in translating this amazing research into, well, what does it mean for how we should handle a conversation like this differently, right. how we should handle a meeting differently, our to-do list differently. So I think there's still a long way to go, actually, in that practical translation, but I'm hoping my work makes a bit of a dent in it. I, I'm guessing you've been asked this question a few times, but I, I won't be any different. But what's, what's a good day to you? Yeah, well, through my uh, the book was really based on 
asking that question to hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. Uh, I, I used to ask them, what's a good day for you? What's a bad day for you? And what would it take to get more good days? Yeah. So I feel pretty confident in, in giving a kind of general answer that everyone's different. I think, you know, it is about making, getting to the end of the day and feeling that your attention and time has gone towards what really matters uh, to you. And second, I think it's about feeling good about what you've done. And third, I think it's about enjoying yourself or at least feeling that you've bounced back from what's not been great uh, so that you've got enough energy and resilience in the tank for the next day. We're talking with Caroline Webb, a former McKinsey partner. Her book is How to Have a Good Day. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you have a question, you're more than welcome welcome to jump in. Uh, You have kind of three themes uh, as to how to make, uh, I guess, the, the science work Mm. Uh, in today's business world. Go into those, please. Yeah, well, I I was trying to create this grand synthesis of decades of work in psychology, neuroscience, and behavioral economics, and I was trying to really identify what the three essential big themes were that that cut across uh, all of those disciplines and really useful for us to understand. First is two-system brain, and the idea there is that we've got a deliberate system in our brain that takes care of everything we do deliberately and consciously and that's reasoning self-control planning forward thinking all the grown-up stuff and then we have an automatic system which takes care of just about everything else and the systems have strengths and weaknesses and we don't really play to those strengths and weaknesses as much as we might and it's so central to actually having a better day so for example the deliberate system gets overloaded really quickly and has huge capacity constraints. And if we understand how that works, it becomes much easier to see how we can get overloaded so easily and what it takes to to lighten the load on Mm -hmm. our deliberate system. For example, having a to-do list that has three things on it rather than 23. Um, You know, these things actually help us think more clearly. Um, So two-system brain and playing to the strengths of each system. And then the second big theme is discover-defend, the discovery-defend axis. And the idea there is that your your brain has a couple of different modes, let's say. One is uh, defending you against threats, and the other is going out and seeking and discovering rewards. And these systems uh, result in quite, uh, these modes re- re- result in quite different um, system, um, approaches to, to life, right? right? So when you're in defensive mode, you're, uh, you're quite tunnel visioned, you're closing down, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And what happens in, de- in defensive mode, and we'll know, we know this when we're put on the spot, is that it becomes harder to think straight. And what's actually been found is that uh, there's actually less activity in the prefrontal cortex when people are even mildly stressed. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when we're on the defensive against some kind of threat, it can be as small as being cut off in a meeting or being put on the spot. Yeah. Um, it, it's enough to actually make us seize up slightly and, and not be able to think straight just at the moment when we really want to raise our game. But the, so, I, the idea of, of dealing with that in the workplace is something that I think it's almost universal that most people would like to be able to get rid of, but it's almost become a, a norm in terms of dealing uh, and yeah. being in the office. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of my work focuses on how to get people into discovery mode, where you'll focus more on the rewards than the threats in a situation. You know, so for example, if you're dealing with a really tough discussion topic, you don't have to be soft about it, but you can get people able to think more clearly and indeed yourself more clearly if you first ask, 
what's our ideal outcome here and what's our first step towards that? And right. competence and um, uh, purpose are inherently rewarding for the brain. If you can get the brain to focus more on the rewards than the threats in the situation, then you'll get clearer thinking. And then the third big theme is mind-body, yeah. the mind-body loop. Um, you know, that's interesting because what it says is the way we treat our body has an immediate impact on the way that our brain functions rather than just a sort of long-term impact. I mean, we kind of know that over time, you know, if we, if we keep fit, then there are all sorts of health benefits that flow from that. But what's fascinating is that sleep, exercise, mindfulness, you know, these, these things have an immediate effect on how clearly we think and how well we feel. Well, it is interesting, the, uh, the, the mind-body part of it is the fact that we're in a time right now, at least here in the United States and I think in, in other parts of the world, where seemingly you see more people understanding that exercise of some kind, whether it be running or bicycling or, you know, uh, indoor rock climbing, you, you can name the, the exercise or, or the event. Uh, but people realize that that has to be a, a kind of an important key ingredient to your to your 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 daily activities right now. Yeah, I'm I'm really cheered by that. And for, you know, I'm someone who has never been a gym bunny, and I played a lot of team sports when I was younger. But it gets a lot harder when you're older to to fit that in. And so, I for me, it was really transformational to realize that you know, just going for a brisk walk uh, for 15 minutes was enough. Yeah to boost my mood and my focus. And, you know, I, I did that knowing the research uh, that underlies that. And when I was writing the book, I, I learned to see, you know, jumping on uh, my, my kind of rickety electrical trainer. Uh, that I have this sort of machine in my office, which sure. is, is really not a high-end uh, high thing, but I'd jump on it for 10, 15 minutes whenever I was hmm. feeling stuck, and I would have the breakthrough that I needed. So seeing it as an immediate... Uh, boost to your ability to think and to feel good is is really the big shift, and it doesn't have to take much. A few a few jumping jacks, uh, a little bit of a walk, and, and that's enough. Doesn't sound like you went out and spent twenty five hundred dollars on a <laughs> uh, on an elliptical machine for your office, huh? I did not. No. <laughs> exactly. We're talking with Caroline Webb. Uh, she is the author of the book How to Have a Good Day. Your comments are welcome. Jump in if you like. Eight four four Wharton eight four four. Nine four two seven eight six six. All right, and going through the book, and, and it's interesting that the, the chapters really lay out really nicely. And and I'll start at the, at the, at the beginning of this because if you don't have your priorities straight, according to your book, uh, you're you're I guess you're you're fighting an uphill battle right from the get go. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we think of priorities, we think of you know perhaps goals and to do lists. And there's some science there that tells us that actually the way you articulate your goals really matters to whether you are able to achieve them. I mean, one example is uh, we, we tend to achieve goals more readily if they are articulated as doing more of a good thing rather than less of a bad thing. So, <laughs> for example, uh, I will stay focused today during this meeting rather than I will not check my phone. Right. Uh, it, it turns out you know, that there's something about the discovery defense modes that uh, gets triggered there. Um, if you are focusing on sort of negative language, then it seems to trigger more of a defensive response. And, you know, we perform better when we're in discovery mode. So all sorts of little things like that that are quite interesting that you know, most people don't know. But even more than that, I think what's perhaps, you know, even less well known is that when we carry a certain set of assumptions or attitudes into any interaction or any task, it's going to affect what we perceive. 
And that's because our brain can only actually perceive consciously part of what's going on around us at any time. And what we tend to see is whatever matches what's already top of mind for us. And this is one of those head explodes moments where you think, <laughs> my gosh, you know, I, I thought I was perceiving reality pretty objectively. But it's a bit like that, that time when you, you, know, you maybe cover a new car and then you suddenly see every car on the road that is that exact model. Uh, because it's top of mind for you, that's what you see. So there's real power to being more deliberate about setting your intentions before you go into sure. anything during the day, because you will see more of it. If you go into a conversation expecting someone to be a jerk, you will see everything <laughs> to confirm that they are indeed <laughs> a complete jerk. And you may miss moments where they smile or where they're more conciliatory and more um, cooperative. So yeah, I think that that's really profound, and most of us don't realize it, and it can make a big difference every day. So once you get that, that, that jerk mentality in your head, it's really hard to take that out, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's subconscious, right? And what oh, we don't sure, realize yeah. is that we're then filtering out everything that suggests the world is a nicer place than uh, you know, our attitude kind of going into the day suggests. Yeah, you also spend time in the book talking about relationships and, and both the good and the bad. Uh, but I also found it interesting that you talk about uh, something that I, I, I think is important, but it's maybe not talked about enough, is it, it, the part about your success also really reflecting on other people and being able to help mm. other people have success as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, very few of us are hermits sitting in a cave on our own. And yeah, our, our success depends so much on the people around us and our, not just our success, but our, our happiness and you know, our feeling of connectedness. Um, researchers have shown that it's one of the most reliable predictors of our, um, our view of how happy we are, how right. much we feel good about our lives is the quality of our relationships. So absolutely, it's, it's super important. And it's so easy, you know, if you're sort of a very technical, analytical person to think that, uh, you know, the relationship stuff is, you know, soft and uh, <laughs> doesn't really need as much focus. But it can be transformational just to know a few things about, for example, how to get other people out of defensive mode and into sure. discovery mode so that they're, you know, behaving more like their best selves. Um, and I think, you know, one of the most um, powerful things to know is that autonomy is an enormously motivating force. And, yeah. I mean, we know it when it's taken away from us, you know, when someone treads on our toes, which sure. is terrible. Yeah. Um, but that has a big implication for how we handle and deal with other people, even if they're peers, to give people space to contribute and provide input rather than telling people what to do. Um, so it, it suggests that there's a huge premium on really being a better uh, listener, that there are certain benefits to coaching rather than telling uh, there are certain benefits to really giving people space to think. And it's not always people's natural style in, in working with coworkers. Well, it's funny you say that because we have such a great little level of autonomy here doing this show oh, in, terms of, in terms of putting on what we like to put on. So right. that, you know, that is it is a little bit of a freeing thing. And it and it does. I think it helps the productivity of, uh, of our show. And I think it's you know, it's a it's a basis to, to growth. Now, the problem is, is that there's probably not enough companies, even though there's kind of been a shift to in, in the last several years to, you know, having employees do more of the work and putting it on people's shoulders. Not enough companies probably do that right now. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, autonomy can be really in the small stuff. You know, it, for example, if I'm running a workshop 
with a group of clients, I, I always try and make sure that, you know, if we're running over time on, on one part of the day, just simply asking people, do you want to continue? Sure. Or yeah. should we take a break? <laughs> you know, it can be really small ways of just inviting people to feel that they own part of what's going on. And I, th I think that, you know, once you realize that it can be as small as asking people's advice, yeah. what, do you, you know, what do you think about this topic? You know, it becomes a lot easier to imagine how you might build it into your natural interactions with people without necessarily needing to shift the whole culture of an organization. We're joined by Caroline Webb. Her book is How to Have a Good Day. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 if you'd like to jump in. Uh, or if you like, you can't uh, join us on the phone. You can join us uh, via the web. You can send us a tweet at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, you also uh, talk about in this book the fact that people should think about having an impact somehow, some way, in their job, in their company, almost every day, correct? Well, it, this is this is about feeling that you you have some usefulness, right? You yeah. know, it, it's feeling that, you know, when I was talking about uh, what a good day is, feeling good about what you've done is partly about, it's partly about having great interactions. It's partly about, you know, doing your, your best thinking. But it's also about feeling that those conversations and that thinking isn't wasted. And sure. A lot of that comes from whether our communications are really landing the way that we want, whether we're able to make change happen, even if it's in tiny ways, and having the confidence to really come across as our best selves, perhaps when we are not feeling that confident. And, you know, those, those are topics that, you know, we often think about, you know, if we're in advertising or marketing, we're thinking about how do we influence the, the customer. We don't think about it quite so much in well, how do I write this email so that it really gets the effect that I want? Or I'd like, I'd like my colleague to, to stop, <laughs> stop spilling coffee in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can be really small stuff, but actually understanding what it takes to, to make change happen can make you feel pr pretty good at the end of the day. Uh, it can make you feel like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I, I actually made a difference. So when I say impact, it doesn't have to be necessarily on a kind of grand scale. It just makes you, you know, makes you feel good if you feel like, oh, actually, I was listened to and I made a difference. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, we got a couple of people online to, to, to ask you questions, Caroline, so hang okay. on right here. Andrew is in Newport Beach out in California. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. Hope you're having a good day. Uh, Absolutely. I, <laughs> I am. I know I am. How about you, Andrew? Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I'm in dental sales, and I travel all across the West Coast. I see about 50 to 100 new people a day, and I get to meet 50 to 100 mm. new people a day. Um, in dental sales, I go to an office, and there's a lot of people sitting, and they sit a lot. So front office staff, they sit, and they sit, and they sit. And we always have a term of, like, the curmudgeon. You know, they're, they're grumpy, the old lady, and she just does not like to see you. So I actually, I bring chocolate to every one of my offices because I want to make them happy. And I have this feeling that our society today, kind of going back to what you guys are talking about, um, the lack of exercise, the, the sitting for hours and hours on end is, you know, how much of that is contributing just to the overall well-being of people? And, you know, how do we change that? 
Well, first of all, I think it's fantastic that you're uh, thinking about the, the power of reciprocity, which is effectively what you're doing by you know, giving people a little treat or showing that you're thinking uh, about them thoughtfully, uh, handing over uh, some chocolate, because reciprocity is one of those rewarding forces. You know, whenever we feel that there isn't reciprocity, actually we're tipped a bit towards uh, the threat state, the defensive mode. That's why if we say I love you and the other person doesn't say I love you back, it feels awful. So, uh, so yay for for thinking about what you can bring and what you can give that uh, that that makes people feel seen and makes you feel um, makes you feel as if you're treating them like a human being. And then on the sitting point, yeah, you know, I, I, my argument here is always, I think that people get a little bit um, turned off by the feeling that they have to maybe invest in a standing desk or they have to do big things to, to really shift the amount of physical activity that they're getting in their lives. And actually, the research is really supportive of the fact that it takes very little. So really, just getting people to stand up after every, you know, you can pick the, pick the piece of research that should suggest how often you should stand up and stretch. Yeah. But, you know, say do it every half an hour just to actually get people in the habit of doing that. That can be enough to, to, to get the blood flow uh, moving. And it, it does take, of course, some role modeling from the leaders in the office. It's often, so often the case that people need to see that it's okay to, to get up and, and take, a, take a little bit of a stroll. And many, uh, many of the best leaders that I know who are doing this uh, sort of role modeling are very explicit about it. You know, they will get up and say, I am going for a walk now yeah. <laughs> so that people can see them. So, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right um, uh, to, to think that it's an issue. And I hope that um, you keep on doling out the, the appreciation and the, the chocolates and perhaps uh, maybe even uh, encourage them to stand up when you're in the in, the, in their offices. Andrew, thanks very much for the call. You can, By the way, Andrew, you can send chocolate to us here in Philadelphia, too. We like it as well. <laughs> Tom is in Tyler, Texas. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Carolyn, I just wanted to tell you you are spot on, young lady. Uh, we have a patent that we filed with the U.S. Patent Office doing something similar to what you're doing, and we found the same thing, that small chunks each and every day moving in a positive direction makes a very big impact on the businesses, somewhere between 17 and 23 percent efficiency. So you are you are heading in the right direction, and I know you're going to be a great contribution to the business uh, world. Thank you very much, and uh, you can call me young lady anytime. <laughs> Tom, thanks very much for the call. Carolyn, unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour. I have to let you go. Uh, this is great. Uh, great to have you, and look forward to uh, the next book whenever it comes out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, Thank you so much for having me. It's, I, been, I, it's, it's, been, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.